Highlights in the news, Apollo 17 astronauts exploring rock formations which may date back to the formation of the moon. Dr. Kissinger expected to fly back to Washington tomorrow from Vietnam peace talks in Paris. That's the latest from the WOR newsroom. Lester Smith reporting of the WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. And here's Gene Shepard. in a generation, a voice arrives on the scene that speaks of the hopes, the aspirations, and the dreams of all men of his time. And now, here he is. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, I knew you'd make it. Thank you, Bill. Hello there, King. By God, that announcer that came on there in the beginning and talked about hopes and uh, aspirations of the common man was right. <laughs> Yes, uh, everywhere you look, there's the unconscious humor of our time. For example, the other night I'm watching television. and uh, That can be an unconscious humor situation right there. Shepard watching television. My God, what a sight. I'm sitting there watching TV, see, and uh, on one of the news shows, there's this lady being interviewed by another lady, see. And this uh, first lady, the one that's being interviewed, says, Well, yes. We are a new feminist group, and we are certainly standing up for our rights. We demand to be treated as people. We do not, I repeat, we do not dislike men. We just wish to be treated as people. And we believe that men should be allowed to exist. In fact, we can coexist with them on an equal basis. We do not have anything against men, but we wish to be treated as people. Now, would you like to see, would you like to see our... uh, our new poster, the poster, and on the poster is the is the uh, insignia of our new organization. Well, she holds up the poster, see, with the insignia of the new organization, the one that, that does not dislike men. And it shows a beautiful line drawing, see, of a girl dressed in what looks like a karate suit. And she's flying up in the air. You know these karate suits? They look like pajamas, see? And she's leaping up in the air, and she is kicking a man. 
in a sensitive spot of his uh, anatomy. We do not dislike men. <laughs> yeah, if any, wherever you are, just remember to bring your iron shoes. You didn't see that group, Herb? Did you see it, Bill? The one with, with the chick kicking a guy? Something is being brought in here. Oh, thank you. That, that's nice. I like that. Well, that's Jerry. Yeah, it's very good. That's what's been happening lately. It's elephant dandruff. It's coming down from the skies. <laughs> My God. Can't fight, uh, you can't fight City Hall. Well, you know, uh, speaking of... Uh, speaking of... Uh, of... Uh, you know, fighting against the inevitable avalanche of time and all the rest of the stuff that is uh, beginning to harass us. Uh, have you, I've been trying to get into the Christmas spirit, you know. I've been really working at it. You know, I, I, you know, I plugged in all the transistors and all the integrated circuits and all that stuff, you know, and everything, trying to get it going. It, uh, I've, uh, I've wired up... Uh, a whole series of uh, Christmas carols that play in the john when I turn on the shower, and uh, it just hasn't worked yet. Hasn't worked yet. Have you have you gotten into it yet, Bill? The Christmas thing yet? Yeah, that's me. You know, come see, come see. That's right. And uh, although I will say this, that there are certain moments of hilarity that I I run across that uh, are starting to starting to move me. For example, have you been watching on television? Uh, there's a whole plethora of TV spots for games. And, of course, I mean, all kinds of games are being played now on, on TV. You know, they they're all, all make a perfect gift. And every one of the games somehow is, is, uh, is uh, electrically operated. Everything is electrical this, this year. See, it's, as opposed to poker, you know, you sit around, you play poker, and it's pretty hard to imagine a, a transistorized uh, poker odds creator that sits in the middle there and tells you what odds, uh, you know, filling an inside straight. Uh, but uh, all of them are, tr are, are electro uh, electrically operated now, the games. For example, you remember the word games? You used to sit down there now, and, you know, you'd, put, you'd try to make words out of little blocks, you know, that uh, intellectual pursuit that swept America like a giant case of... Uh, yes, I know what the name of it is, but if I mention it, I'm liable to get sued. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> do I have to be... <laughs> I'm amazed at the innocence of you guys in there. Yeah, I say a certain guy said the other, and everybody holds up. Lindsay, Lindsay, yeah, tell him to tell you. <laughs> certain knave said the other day, and they hold up. Agnew, 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 you know. And that, no, no, friends, uh, subtlety is the is the is the soupçon of elegance in a comedy routine. Once you start spelling it out and putting it on the tops of cakes with icing and uh, squirting it up on the walls, you know, and pinning it on guys' lapels. Then it uh, loses the little pizzazz. But nevertheless, you remember that game, don't you? You have the little game with the blocks, you know, and you, you, you know, you. <laughs> well, kinds of variations. For example, the most exotic variation I ever heard of that game was uh, the time that I got sucked into a game with a bunch of people, you know, who become jaded. You quickly become jaded, you know. 
playing the game the straight way, and then they try all kinds of variations like uh, foreign uh, obscenities. You have to you have to make nothing but foreign obscenities. Of course, that's a very short game then at that point. <laughs> most people have about five or six groovy words. Like most of mine run to Italian words of uh, more of an obscene nature, although I have picked up a few Hungarian words, which I occasionally whip out in the crowd. You wish dead, Kevana Kedvish, Ogatoim. Ah, in a of Tashik. Yeah. That's a Kobasi. That's a goodie. And uh, you throw these things out, uh, <laughs> and, and and so I I, uh, I see now that they have an improved version of that game where the game has to be played on the fly. You plug it in, and the words revolve like on a lazy susan. They go swirling past you. See, and you see all these hands reaching in there, and the word gets right past you before you can finish it. See, and that's all part of the game. And if you notice that everybody looks so maniacally pleased on TV about the game they're playing, like uh, electric hockey. Two guys are sitting there with a, with a button, and they're kicking it back and forth. Can you imagine? Right in the middle of a game, the batteries run out, and uh, there you are, you know, with the puck, uh, right halfway past the blue line. The score is two to two, and no batteries, and the A and P is closed. And uh, <laughs> oh, damn it, no batteries! <laughs> well, of course, this is uh, all part of our time. One of the great games, I think, that uh, shows a little bit of. Uh, the variations of perversion of our day. Uh, you remember when they used to have games that were like racers? I mean, you know, you'd race your car. You'd take the little yellow car, the other guy take the blue car, and you race them around with the batteries, or you got a transformer and you're going, well, that's all over. You see very little of that now. Now you can actually get a game of the demolition derby where the cars crash. Yeah, they, they, they crash into each other, and the whole object is to knock the hood off the, your opponent's car. So uh, you get a little T-Bird, a little Chevy, a little Corvette, maybe a Galaxy, see, and they come in different colors. And then, then uh, the, it has uh, complete with sound effects. It has sound effects. It's a little tape that goes around. Yeah, it actually has sound effects. So in the middle of this thing, of course, you can have a little... You know that you can get a TV announcer's game now? A TV announcer's game. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little Ed McMahon game. And, uh, yeah, the kid puts his rubber nose on, and, you know, and he sits there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and of course, uh, kids naturally fall into categories. There's the second banana kid, and there's the top banana kid. And uh, for the top banana kid, uh, there is the Johnny Carson game. And it comes with a little cardboard desk and uh, with a little, uh, you know, a little uh, sequin backdrop. And he sits at the desk, and he interviews his friends. And they have a little, uh, they have a little carbon, uh, you know, a little microphone that sticks down, and they have a little cardboard uh, TV camera. And I'm telling you this, you actually get this now. And if you're a, if you're a natural born second banana kid, you can get the Ed, Ed McMahon kit, which uh, you know gives you little cardboard cans of Alpo that you hold up, and uh, things like that. See, <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm not. Yeah, uh, you know, life is moving forward. And uh, I kind of like the idea of, of the sound effect, though. Can't you see these two kids playing demolition derby? And they're sitting in the front room there, and they turn it on, and they switch on the tape recorder, and the next thing you know, pow! Pow! Give me the echo chamber. Echo chamber. Pow! Oh. Thank you. I knew you'd do it. Pow! <laughs> uh, what's the matter? Oh, that didn't do it to you, did it? Well, now you don't do it to me either, baby. Not anymore. Let's see. What do we got here? We got WOR New York. Is that too early? Uh, how about uh, doing a commercial for uh, for the House of Chan? 
You write that down. It'll give you something to do. Keep your little hands busy for a while. After a long, hard day at the office, what you need to do is unwind. And according to this commercial, which is kind of grotesque, they said that you should go and unwind at this Chinese restaurant. I'll tell you, the House of Chad is a magnificent spot for a tryst. I had to, I had to make this mention uh, in case you've never thought of it. Nobody would think of looking for you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you picked up this fantastic bimbo from the steno department. No one would think of looking for you at a Chinese restaurant, would they? You mean your friends would? Well, they probably don't know what a tryst is either, so it doesn't matter. I would like to uh, recommend a sweet and sour twist there uh, down at the House of Chan. And they have these lovely Chinese hors d'oeuvres. A beef satay, it says here. Juicy chunks of steak, subtly spiced and served on a skewer. That sounds good. That sounds like a shish kebab to me. But uh, nevertheless, it's at the House of Chan, which is at 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. And they have all these great... Uh, these great uh, hors d'oeuvres. And they have a bar, by the way, in case you're nervous about that. Some people won't go near a restaurant unless it has a bar. That's right. And some people won't go near a bar if it's got a restaurant hooked onto it. So uh, <laughs> every, every man to his own hang-up. Hey, by the way, New York Magazine has a special note for you. "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the city, not a dock or a shrink. Oh, what a pity. Your tensions are building. What can you do? New York Magazine solves the problem for you. Oh, this is written in a bad poem. The year-end issue will give you the dope. Who to call, where to go, what to do, how to cope. Emergency wards, therapy clinics. Isn't this a great idea for a Christmas issue? Therapy wards, emergency clinics, the hospitals are all properly rated, and they're given three or four or maybe five Kris Kringles, depending on how good they are. So buy New York Magazine. Get rid of your fear. And all for 73, have a healthy new year. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, you're suffering from paranoia. Jingle, jingle, schizo, schizo, all the way to Sinai. Jingle bells, jingle. This is, I've already said it, this is W.R. New York. I said it too early. You mean it's too early to say this is W.R. New York? You guys are getting damn chintzy, it's all I got to say. Gramercy Park. Clothes of 64, if you're looking for a really great polyester double-knit Santa Claus suit, Gramercy Park Clothes of 64 West 23rd Street in New York has a fantastic collection with rubber and little rubber uh, helmets and all that with them. They're really great. Santa Claus, you know, he gets out in the rain a lot. So, nevertheless, if you're looking for a polyester double-knit suit, I would suggest you go. Well, I'm not suggesting it. This commercial is. Suggest you go down to Gramercy Park Clothes, 64 West 23rd Street, third floor in New York. Gramercy Park, as some of the other announcers pronounce it. Okay, now I'll let you off the hook for a while. Now you're cool. Oh, I know there's 34 others. I'll do them when I get to them. Don't you tell me when to do them. Stop pointing. I'll do them. <laughs> God, I'm having trouble with the help. <laughs> it's, it's getting out of head. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of... Uh, of uh, Having trouble with the help, uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know, you know, this Christmas thing coming on here, getting a little nervous. Uh, people are getting a little, I, personally, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me much, but, uh, they had a Christmas party here. Uh, I, I was not involved, but they, they do, they have Christmas parties, and, uh, did I ever tell you about the fantastic Christmas party that I saw one time? 
Oh yeah, I was I was at a Christmas party once, and the and uh, this was a big television station, see, and they had thousands of employees, you know, a great big organization, and uh, I thought it was one of the most magnificent examples of truly creative sadism I've ever seen. I mean, you know, there's common sadism, then there's creative sadism. It really goes out. And everybody was at the Christmas party, and they're swinging from the chandeliers and yelling and hollering, and, and the engineers brought their kids and all that, you know. And, and uh, they were having a great time, seeing there was about, about a thousand of them there. And, and uh, all of a sudden, the boss got up, one of the bosses, and he got up right in the middle of the Christmas party. I actually saw this, so I'm not making this up. This is the truth. He got up, and he said, uh, all right, he said, give me your attention, please. Give me your attention, please. Uh, you know, I had the echo. They, in fact, they even, not yet, not yet. They even had the, they even had the, uh, the PA system. It was really wildly done. It was, it was in our, our main studio, Studio C. They even had a, a, an orchestra at this, uh, Christmas party. And by the way, did you ever do that at a Christmas party? Open a door and some guy is really having a fantastic scene with a chick. Totally un, un, uh, unexpected, uh, uh, a pairing. <laughs> well, I had that happen to me once, and you know that was the end of my job. Shortly thereafter, I, I one time, yeah, I, I I just was walking around, you know, and I opened the door to this place. I was looking for the John or something, and here's this guy, you know, making a fantastic scene with his chick, and he looked up at me, and he spotted me, and I spotted him, and I just turned around and walked away. But it was bad news from that time on. I mean, uh, many many things happen at Christmas parties that uh, just uh, changed the whole year. Uh, it, it, you know, there's a theory that says either that the, that, the, that the angers and the frustrations and the curious situations that fell up at Christmas parties were always there, but they came out at the Christmas party. Now, that's one theory. The other theory says that the Christmas party creates them. Well, now, that, that, that depends. I don't know. I mean, see, I'm not as quick to say, yeah, 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 that's the right one. Because if, uh, if you think seriously about it, that, uh, that you may have plots all through the year, and uh, suddenly you're in the middle of the Christmas party and they're dipping into the punch and yelling and hollering, drinking the, drinking the Jack Daniels and spilling uh, drinks all over guys' feet, the next thing you know, it, you know, the real thing begins to show up. But this Christmas party that I saw was really a hair raiser, man. I mean, it was the kind you 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 have uh, nightmares about. Would make a great scene in a movie, and and if you did it in a movie, nobody would believe it. They'd say it was overdrawn. But this guy was was a, he looked like the, a, a class B heavy in you know class B movies. You know the kind star, uh, starring Lloyd Nolan, that kind. I mean, a real heavy. Had jowls, blue jowls. Had little two little black BBs that he used for eyes, and. Uh, he got up on a desk at the Christmas party, in the middle of the whole party. Everybody's singing and yelling. It's been going on for half an hour and cheering. They got a Christmas tree, and, and the, the Christmas carols are coming through the, through the monitor speakers. You know, it's everything. everything's going groovy. And he got up and he says, All right, all right, all of you now, just a minute. Give me your attention. Give me your attention me your now. Attention. Here we go now. Just hold it down out there in the back. I want to talk here. Well, all of you are having a Merry Christmas. And I hope that all of you are enjoying this Christmas party sent to you by the company. I want you to eat all you want, drink all you want, have a good time. Remember, though, we got to get back to work tomorrow. 
And now, before we go any further, I would like to read the following list. A.L. Smithers, J.D. Gumpox, L.F. McGillicuddy, Lefty McGonagall, A.J. Bullwinkle, all of you who are on this list, those names, will pick up your check tomorrow morning at the paymaster's office. All right, now, gang, let's all go back and have a Merry Christmas, and let's have a good time at the party. Now, you think I'm, I'm inventing that. That I actually saw. I actually saw that scene. And, oh, and listen, I saw another guy get fired for a fantastic moment. In a, and he just couldn't, he just couldn't resist it. Uh, how many of you out there have the, have the problem of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of a big mouth? How many have the big mouth problem? Do you have that problem, Bill? Of not being able to stop talking when you know you know you know that you should shut up, and you just can't resist it. You got to talk. <laughs> well, the big mouth problem has gotten more than one guy into, and 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 what's even worse, the smart crack problem. Now, some guys, uh, you know, natural born comics, and there are many of us. Regardless of whether it's true or not, when you see an opening for a fantastic gag, a fantastic great punchline, you gotta say it. Oh, this can get you a lot of bandages. A lot of bandages. And one spectacular Christmas, uh, we had a, we had a Christmas party, <laughs> and and the the uh, the, uh, the, the everybody had gone out. You know how the, uh, during Christmas party everybody has collections before Christmas party they're going to give a gift to somebody who's retiring or somebody's going to, to do this. Somebody got the crazy idea to give the uh, the personnel manager a gift. Now, for a number of reasons, but uh, that's beyond the scope of this thing. They were going to give this guy a gift, and the and the people all got together, and he was a powerful, mean man, and uh, everybody at the station had gotten together and had contributed to the gift. All right, comes the, comes the moment when, ta-da, you know, the little band goes, and they go, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way, and they're going to give him his gift. I know what it was, yes. He had gotten married that week. That's right, and they were going to give him a gift for his wedding and a Christmas thing and all at the same time. And uh, half of us didn't even know what the gift was that we had bought. You know, there was always a committee of girls who go out and say, we're go yes, we're going to collect something from Mr. Bullard. And they go out and they go out and buy this gift. Well, we're all sitting in this in this studio eating, uh, eating salami sandwiches and uh, eating gingerbread cookies and all that stuff, you know, and drinking the cider. And it's Christmas. And they, the band goes, ta-da, jingle bells, jingle bells. And Mr. Mr. Bullwinkle, who was the head of the PR department or the head of the personnel department, is called up on a stage, and this girl says, and now we have given you, 
we would like to present you with a gift since you have just gotten married to Marge from the Cost Accounting Department. We're all so thrilled about it. And uh, we've all gotten together, and we've given you this gift. And at that point, she hands him this this uh, beautifully wrapped package, and he opens it up. Inside is an alligator case. The crowd's sitting there. And he opens up the alligator case, and it is a magnificent set of a spectacular English steel carving set with bone handles. And it's a, you know, it's got a long toad sticker. Uh, it's got a knife that's about 18 inches long. See, he takes the knife out and he holds it up. And my friend, with the wise mouth, hollers out, What a, what a great gift for Bullwinkle. Why, I'll bet he can hardly wait to use it. Ha! I'll bet he can hardly wait for the first of the year. That's when all the firings went on. Well, here he's got this fantastic toad sticker. And with that, Bullwinkle turns around and he, he you could saw his eyes change from Christmas to business. <laughs> and he spotted him down there. That was the end of Bob Adams. As a matter of fact, the first of the year, Adams was the first to get the bone-handled knife right between the ribs down around the kidney. He got him. He got him real fast. Good, clean shot. Uh, it was done right by the water cooler. And so uh, <laughs> these uh, these little moments of, of Christmas party life, which all of us know, I think the greatest picture movie I ever saw where where a, a, a Christmas party was was uh, was shown was one in which Jack Lemon starred. Did you ever see Lemon at a Christmas party? Did you did you ever see this movie? Yes, Jack Lemon was at a Christmas party. What was the movie? I'll award you a brass pignicky with a bronze oak leaf palm. It was not, I'll give you a clue, it was not the days of wine and roses. That was that's the that's the clue that I'm giving you. You know? Well, I I've I've seen some I've seen some pretty pretty wild things. I remember the time that, that Santa Claus came out at a Christmas party and he dumped his sack of uh, toys under the Christmas tree. And uh, every, all the kids were there. There was a thousand kids there, and this was when I was a kid. In fact, uh, my 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 old man worked in this office, and we were all we all went to this Christmas party, and there were a thousand kids. All all of the uh, employees' kids were in this big mob, and Santa Claus came in and dumped his sack under the Christmas tree with all the gifts, and in the sack were three giant snakes, and they took off. <laughs> Somebody had loaded Chris Santa's bag. He didn't know, see? And Santa had this great big sack. Somebody gave him a sack, you know, says, carry it in. And when you get in there, you just dump it out there under the tree. And he just comes in, you know, he's ho, ho, ho. He's going, ho, 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 boys and girls. Here's Santa's. He's got a bag of goodies for all of you. Here's something for each one of you here. And he just dumps it open and went, out it goes. And instantly, kids are going, and about 19 snakes, well, actually, there were only three. They just looked like 19. And uh, they were garter snakes, but full-grown garter snakes. You know, a garter snake gets to be a pretty good-sized snake. And somebody had stuck them in a sack. Well, these snakes just went, Phew! they took off like mad. See, all three of them went off in different directions, slithering on the floor. And that was about as close to a major riot as I've ever seen. The kids were divided right down the middle. You know, half of the kids were delighted. <laughs> you know, they went after the snake. They thought it was groovy. The other half, you know, flipped. You know, ah, screaming. 
but see as you as you pursue your your endless uh, variety of life as you as you constantly battle yes there the apartment that is correct that is correct uh, of course uh, uh, I think I think that as you as you work your way through life and you try to you know you try to you try to prepare yourself for the realities of life you know that you're never going to do it it's like one of my spies the other day for example he writes me a note here and uh, where's this thing here I got it yeah he sends me a he sends me a thing that happened down in uh, let's see yeah here it is no 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 it's not here uh, hey by the way do you know that they're now making uh, Making fuel oil out of a dog waste, which uh, man's moving forward. I, I like the idea of uh, progress. And uh, finally, yeah, here it is. Yeah, you know, talking about snakes. Uh, now, now, you know, we here in New York, we think we have an exciting time. When, it, when it, in actuality, not much happens in New York. You know, it's a continual. It's always the same stuff. You know, a steady line of muggings, steady line of denunciations by politicians, steady line of strikes. But uh, outside of, uh, of New York, really great things happen. For example, this spy writes to me from Waynesville, North Carolina, uh, the Waynesville Martineer. And uh, he says, you think, he says, I'm from New York. He says, and I used to think great stuff happened in New York. He says, listen to this one. He says, uh, a citizen of the town there, <laughs> in this town, he was driving his Jeep down a mountain road outside of uh, Williamsville, North Carolina the other day. And uh, he says he saw ahead of him an elderly man with a burlap bag across his shoulder. He says uh, the guy decided to to uh, pick him up. You know, he just took a look at the old guy staggering along the road, decided to pick him up. So he stopped and offered him a lift. The old guy gets in the Jeep, and he very carefully puts the burlap sack down on the floor of the Jeep. And then he climbs aboard. And the two of them ride down the road a ways. And the driver just casually asked to make conversation, uh, what do you have in the bag, huh? What's in the bag? And the old guy says, well, I got nothing much, just three rattlesnakes. Caught them this morning, three rattlesnakes. Says, I figured I could sell them in town. Pretty good-sized snakes. Caught them while they were sunning. They didn't like being snagged, but I got them in the bag. I fight like hell. Did you ever catch any rattlers? A lot of fun. I enjoy it. He's sitting in the car, and he's got three rattlesnakes at his feet in a sack. And he says, uh, he turned off quickly and says, this is where I turn. He says, the old guy picked up the sack and walked down the road. Three giant rattlesnakes in the bag. Well, now, you may think that this is a hypothetical uh, situation, which only would occur in, in mountain areas. Did I ever tell you about the time this friend of mine was working his way through college? And uh, he discovered that in his college, frogs were very, very valuable at the lab. You could sell a frog for maybe like uh, maybe a quarter, a dollar, sometimes for the big ones, you know. Incidentally, one of the greatest love affairs I ever had was over a frog. Fantastic affair. Well, no, it wasn't over a frog. You, you misinterpreted me. I, I was not hung up on a frog, although I have met some great frogs. Uh, this was something else. It was in a biology class. And, uh, you know, in, in biology classes, there's all many oblique ways that you study about uh, such things as the birds and the bees. And uh, in this class, we were assigned lab partners. Well, our, our teacher, uh, Miss Crystal Reader was her name. She decided to have 
the sexes mixed. In other words, every boy was assigned a girl, see, because he could do the dirty work, you know, like reach down in a formaldehyde and all that jazz. So, yeah, so, so within, within uh, two, two, maybe three weeks after our class started, I had this fantastic lab partner. I've talked about her before. Pearl Aruz. Oh, God. I mean, there are some women you just don't forget in your life. Have you noticed that, Bill? I mean, no matter how many women you get involved in the rest of your life, there are some that remain indelible. And, and you can't really pinpoint why it is. Because they're pretty much the same as all the others. You know, they got two feet, they walk around. But there's something mystical about them. Well, Pearl, I think it's silence. Any girl that just looks at you with a deep, with a kind of impenetrable silence, you will never forget. Well, Pearl was totally silent, never said anything. And she was my lab partner. She was carved out of what looked like solid alabaster with just the touch of uh, milk chocolate. God, what a fantastic chick. Her eyes, I could still see some nights, Pearl Aruz looking at me. She just looked at me with this sense of not, not, not involvement, but a curious kind of disdain. You know that kind? And I'm, I'm falling in love with her more and more, and I can make no contact. And every day, we're working on our leaves. We had leaves that we would, you know, we would uh, dissect the ribs of the leaves, and we would uh, pin them to pieces of paper and write underneath it, oak. Uh, <laughs> that was the kind of stuff we did in our lab. Until one day, Miss Crystal Reader passed out a jar, a great big five-gallon jar, that looked like it had had pickles in it and had this yellow fluid in it. And in the jar were about 50 dead frogs. They were pickled in the formaldehyde. And each one of us was to take one frog per desk and we were going to go to work on it. Well, Pearl Aruz looked at this big jug of frogs and I saw a faint flicker of repulsion. Not only repulsion, but sort of a, I, I, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to just enfold her and say, Pearl, it's all right. I will take over. I will take over. I will, I will handle this difficult situation. <laughs> well, she, she, she sort, of, sort of stood back, see, and I reached down into the jar. And the, the jar had been passed to me by Doppler, who was also in the class. And he says, here's your frogs. And you'd hear it slopping in the, the bucket. And you know, had a gloppy sound. I reached down and I grabbed a frog and they were very oily. You know, when they've been in the formaldehyde, they get rubbery. They get like they're made out of rubber. They're oily. See, and I reached down and I grabbed this frog and I pulled it out. Big frog. I passed the jug on to, to, to Alex Joshua. I says, here's the jug, Joshua. And I took the frog and I laid it on the cork that we had on our desk. Well, now I'm going to tell you something. I am just as squeamy as the next person. I am as squeamish as the next human being about cutting the interior of a frog open. I am very, very nervous about this. But nevertheless, Pearl Aruz gave me one, you know, that cool, long, smoldering look. And I said, all right, I'll take care of it. And Miss Reader is up at the front of the class. She says, now, boys and girls, uh, now, you will all take your frog and, and put the frog on its back. 
Put the frog down on its back. And so I take the frog and I lay it on its back, see, and he's spread-eagled. The frog is laying there with his, with his little arms out, just outstretched. He looked like he was crucified. He's, yeah, it was a terrible image. You know, he's laying there. Yes, everybody else's frog, his, their arms were sort of hanging. I could see my frog. His little arms are holding out like that, you know, and he's, his eyes are open, looking right at me, see. Now, he's probably been in this formaldehyde for five years, but he was still there. And his arms were out, and his big, you know, the big frog legs are sort of hanging down. And Miss Reader then says, now, would you take, take your pins, your specimen pins, and uh, take two of them and pin the two front legs to the cork. And then spread the two larger legs in the rear and pin them to the cork. Now your frog is mounted and ready for dissection. Well, there's that poor little frog with the pin sticking out of his hand. See, looking right up at me, right in the eye. And at that point, uh, Pearl is standing closer to me now. And I can feel this sense of... of uh, how can I say it? The sexual empathy is the only way I can say it. I, it, it, it was getting more and more exciting. And the Miss, uh, Miss Rita then passed a box back. We, back and forth, we got this box, a uh, cigar box full of tools. She says, now, take one each. As I pass this back, you'll find that there are two pieces of equipment in this box. One is a dissecting knife, and the other is what we call a dissecting needle. Now, take one of each, boys and girls, a dissecting knife and a dissecting needle. Well, so I get the box, and there's this knife. And it's just like, it's like Marcus Welby, this great sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a scalpel. You've seen scalpels with a little blade, see? And it's it's got a steel handle. I take the scalpel in my left hand, and I am, I'm vaguely left-handed. I say vaguely because I'm, I'm ambidextrous. See, I take the scalpel in my left hand. And she says, now, hold the pin in the other hand, the one that you're not holding the scalpel in. Now, make the following incision. You will place the tip of the knife just below the mouth of the frog. And then very carefully, directly down the center of this frog's abdomen, you will slice him in one thin incision. And I go, oh. I could hear Pearl next to me just as I go zip and it really cut. I'll tell you, that was a knife, man. I could hear her, her, her breath went just like that. And then I stand tall, say, stand back, I will take care of this. A great sense of being on, on top of it in charge. And Miss Then, reader, made the following statement. You will notice now, as you, as you open the incision, you will notice that near the upper part of the frog, there are two small pinkish organs right up near the top. These are the lungs. Now, will you please separate the lungs, and you will notice just behind the lungs, there is a small tissue, and that is the diaphragm. Now, I wish that all of you would make a picture of what you see in your notebooks, and we will then identify each organ as we go. While I'm growing taller and taller, Pearl Arose had paid no attention to me for two semesters prior to this moment. And with my dissecting needle and with my dissecting knife, my scalpel, I very carefully excised the pancreas with a neat flip of the left wrist. And I removed it with the needle. I laid it down on the paper. 
And uh, she's, she's standing behind me now and clutching my elbow. I said, here, I'll draw the pancreas for you, Pearl. And I drew a pancreas on her lab book. I drew a pancreas on mine. And then I drew a liver on mine and drew a liver on hers. Don't worry about it. And then when she said, please color, please color with the red dye I give you, please color the heart and the kidneys red. What a moment of triumph. I'm painting the heart red. I'm painting the kidneys red. And at that moment, I want either one. At that moment, I realized that medicine has an undeniable attraction to women. Pearl Aruz had fallen in love with me that day over a dead frog. And I've always had a warm spot in my head for frogs ever since. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, I'm, uh, you know, this sounds, uh, sounds like uh, casual talk, but it really isn't. It's the real thing. And, Bill, would you please, uh, do you have something in there for me? Well, don't look dumb, do you, or don't you? Don't just go, uh, uh. All right, then hit the button and let's hear it. General tire. I knew you'd the same Oh, yes, we have a general tire safe driving tip, don't we? Yes, a general tire safe driving tip. Mm, yes. Oh, this one says grasp your steering wheel firmly and point your car directly down the road. That is today's self safe driving tip from General Tire. I mean, they get right to the heart of it, don't they? Keep your car on the road. General's winter cleat has a deep rib four-rib tread, a beautiful, strong, four-ply construction, and this famous promise, which many people today have tattooed on their jockey shorts. It's such a famous promise. You go in snow or General pays the tow. Get a, can you imagine yourself getting towed from Pittsburgh all the way back to Cleans? <laughs> Get a pair of winter cleat tires today at your local General Tire store. It's listed in the yellow pages under Big Red G. Right, right, right. Fine. And while you're celebrating uh, General Tire and uh, preparing to uh, get ready for the wassail of the year, I would like to suggest you try it with French wines. Alexis Lachine, if you're confused about what wine to buy, well, they, they pick the right ones. Uh, reds, whites, rosés. And these uh, wines are put in nice bottles, and they're ready to go. It tastes good. It's good wine. And you'll enjoy it. And it'll add a little touch of elegance to your meatloaf one night when you're at Queens there. It's uh, Alexis Lachine. You'll enjoy quality without confusion, elegance without expense. Alexis Lachine is imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. Alexis Lachine. Alexis Hey now, for for those of you that are frog fans, I hope I haven't, uh, I hope I haven't, uh, uh, you know, caused a little confusion out there. <laughs> no, I, I always remember that day though. You, you're listening to this though, but I remember uh, the, how, how she looked at me uh, when I started to paint the liver there. And by the way, speaking of other things in the in the elegant taste, that's it. Bring it up, Bill. Don't don't be bashful about it. Don't forget, this is the time for uh, the WOR Christmas fun. Just box 710. You don't have much time left. Just send your 
nickels and dimes. Take care of the kids this year. That's the WR Christmas Fund. And the box number again is box 710, Times Square Station, New York 10036. Get the little kitties a plastic demolition kit. Yeah, the games are getting all motorized. And, uh, you know, someday a guy's liable to get, you know, if he's playing uh, the new uh, electric game, uh, hit the dinghy in the middle of a rainstorm, he's liable to get electric, electrocuted right in the middle of it all. Yeah, yeah that's just a, such a game, you know. Well, oh, that's all culture. It's moving forward. You know, it's brought us many good things in the past. It's, it's brought us, uh, well, it's uh, brought us, uh, uh, I thought it was something on the tip of my tongue. Well, you know, I'll, I'll think of something that culture has brought us right after the show. I know it. I always think of it right after. It's brought us... Uh, well, it's brought us chunk peanut butter. That's not bad. I mean, for crying out loud, you can't laugh at that. I mean, it's better than nothing. Sure, chunk style, it's not bad. Oh, yes, uh, if you'd like to get these complete colored set, you must be over 21. Just send your name and address to Hot Dog W-O-R. We'll send them out, yeah. A postage paid, of course. Yes, sir. Uh, this is WOR, New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith. He's got the news, of course. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Temporary residents of the moon, Jack Schmidt and Gene Shernan, are now exploring the base of a mountain after driving more than four miles from their lunar lander. Astronauts Schmidt and Cernan have begun rock collections at the edge of the 7,700-foot mountain, and like previous missions to the moon, the hunt is on for more clues to its origin. Cernan remarked, Sometimes I look out there and I'm not sure I really believe it all. As the two men collected small rocks amid giant boulders, they observed the earth rise, blue and white, over the gray slopes of the lunar mountain. The South American heroin pipeline was tapped again today by United States law enforcement a federal grand jury in Brooklyn indicted 12 persons on charges of conspiring to import more than $87 million worth of heroin and cocaine into this country. Of the 12, only one was an American. The others were from Argentina, Belgium, Chile, and France. The United States Attorney for New York Southern District, Robert Moore, said that the stronger extradition treaties with some South American nations have contributed to the indictments and the war against drug trafficking. A tentative agreement has been reached that could end the strike against liquor wholesalers in New York City and out on Long Island. The two unions on strike against the Greater New York Wholesale Liquor